we started last Sunday morning uh, with a brand new series uh, that you can see up on the screen up here called Winning in Life, Winning in Life. And the Lord had placed some things in my heart a few, several weeks ago regarding this particular subject and uh, made mention of the fact last week that God created us. In fact, if you were, if you were not here last week, make sure you pick up a, a CD from last week because there was some stuff that we, we covered last week. I'm not going to be able to get into the entirety of that, repeat everything, but there's some very, very vital things in there um, about winning. And, you know, God created us to win. Amen. What Sister Cindy just shared was she won. Amen. And I tell you, the greatest desire of our hearts as pastors of this church is to teach people how to win in life. Amen. A pastor is sort of like a coach. Okay. And coaches aren't going to, well, regardless of the type of sport that it is, not, their job is not to teach you how to lose because that comes naturally. Amen. But their job is to teach people how to win. And I know when I was, when I was growing up, you know, uh, I was involved in some different sports, and I hated to lose. I just did not like losing. Amen? And, and God created, put a desire in all of our hearts to win in life. I tell you, God wants us to win in our spiritual life. He wants us to win in our mental life and the way we think. Amen? God wants us to win in our social life. He wants us to win in our finances. He wants us to win in every single area of our life. And all we have to do is look into the book. that It's our owner's manual, so to speak, that teaches us how this stuff operates and how it wins. Amen? Now, it's interesting because, think about it, who created marriage? The devil didn't. God created marriage, right? And God's manual for marriage is the Bible. You read the New Testament, it talks about how husbands should treat their wives, how wives should treat their husbands, how parents should treat their kids. It even goes on to talk about how bosses should treat their employees and how employees should treat their bosses. I mean, all these different relationship things. I mean, you can read in Ephesians and Colossians, these epistles that are written to the church. And if, if we go by what the book says, the owner's manual. Now, how many of you have a vehicle here? Now, you've got an owner's manual in that vehicle but it varies with each vehicle. Because probably across the board here, there's several different vehicles that are represented here in this auditorium. It will be really confusing if you ended up switching owner's manuals with somebody here when they have a certain type of vehicle and you have another type of vehicle. You will be hopelessly confused. All right? But God's word is God's owner's manual to successful relationships. Amen? The reason I know how to treat my wife the way I should is because I've read the book. Amen? And when I see what the book says, then it gives me the inspiration and the information that I need so I know how to treat her the best way. Amen? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Praise God. Now in the world, you're not going to find that. You won't find that. But see... God's Word teaches us to have success in every single area of our life. Now, the first thing that we talked about last week in order to win in life is found in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. And the first key to winning in life, regardless of what it is, is you have to have the right knowledge. You have to have the right information. And we see this in Hosea 4, 6, that the Lord said this, My people are destroyed for lack of what? Lack of knowledge. Now, he didn't say the devil's crowd. He said, My people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. So, lack of knowledge is an enemy to us. He said, uh, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And we'll stop right there. Uh, in order to win in any area of life, you have to have knowledge. Say knowledge. knowledge. Okay, but it's the right kind of knowledge. All right? My people, God, God says, they're destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so uh, go over to, uh, real quickly, we looked at this last week, but in John chapter 8, uh, John chapter 8, verse 30 through 32. One of the reasons, not the only reason, that we come to church is to get filled up with revelation from God's Word. 
Amen? In other words, we get some divine answers to like, woo, glory to God. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I've been around this long enough, okay? I've been saved for 44 years. I've been walking with Christ for 44 years this year. And I've learned a few things in 44 years. But you know what? I'm not done learning. There's no cap. I'm going to continue to learn. But notice in John chapter 8, verse 30, he spake these words, and many believed on him. And then, then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, verse 31, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Isn't that good scripture right there? Now notice uh, most often sometimes people will just quote verse 32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well listen, it's not truth that sets people free. It's knowledge of the truth that sets people free. It's knowing the truth. It's knowledge of the truth that sets people free. He said... Many believed on him. He said, if you continue in my word. Now notice that phrase, if you continue in my word. Say the word continue. Continue. Amen. Now, I like what Gloria Copeland said one time many years ago. She said, it's the act of continuing that creates liberty and freedom. It's the act of continuing. Now we know this, uh, for anything to work in your life, there has to be a consistency. Correct? For example, exercise. (laughs) For it to work for you, or a proper diet or anything like that, you have to work it consistently. You don't just do it once every so often. In order for it to reach maximum benefit, you don't just do it once in a while when you feel like it. Amen? And that's why, you know, at the first part of the year when January 1 comes, you know, all the gyms are packed. And there's a million of them now. How many of you know they're all kind of... All kind of memberships and gyms that are out there, and they're all good and everything and so forth. But, but you'll notice that January and February are the, the busiest months of the year, and then it starts to taper off. Okay, Now, the, 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 the people that own these gym memberships know, and they bank on the fact that there's going to be inconsistency. Because if everybody that joined that gym showed up, there wouldn't be enough room to fit all the people. So they're banking on people failing or giving up or quitting. Are you with me now? It's one thing to start something. It's another thing to complete it and finish it. And that's why Jesus said, if you continue, continue in my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Praise God. Same with a physical diet. You know, if if you're putting the right stuff in your physical body, which we should, okay, put the right fuel in our body, the right kind of liquid, the right kind of food that's on the inside of our body, then it will produce. But if we only do it once in a while, it's not going to really produce like it should in our lives. So it's, it's the act of continuing, whether it be exercise or this or that. I, I use that as an illustration so you can understand that when, it, when you continue to do something, it'll make a difference. Amen? Now, I remember when I, was a, when I was just a young kid, and I tell you, I was... Uh, Mm, 11 years old, 10 years old, something like that. And uh, I, uh, I tried to gain weight. I couldn't gain weight if I, you shake a stick at it, amen? It's another story now. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, I mean, I was so skinny. I was like that cartoon character, you know, that, that uh, man, I, I just, I had no muscle. I mean, I was lean and thin and, you know, and, uh, and I thought, and I, was, I got picked on by some kids when I was younger. Like a lot of I grew up in a really rough area, you know, when I was younger. And uh, I mean to tell you, there's some nasty people, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, and they like, kids like to pick on kids that are smaller than them and stuff like that, you know. Well, I decided one day, I'm going to do something about this, you know. And, and I started reading these muscle magazines and, you know, got a hold of them, you know. And, and I thought, I'm tired of getting picked on, you know. So I, my, my parents said, what would you like for your birthday this year? I said, give me some weights. Okay, I was getting a vision for the future. You understand, and uh, and um, because I was I was tired of being abused and so forth. Anybody ever been there before? You know, and I thought I got to do something about this. You know, 
And so I, I started to lift weights. I saw a little bit of progress, you know. And then I, got, I kept getting these muscle magazines, you know. And they had this, this centerfold in the magazine of these huge monsters like Arnold Schwarzenegger and people like this, you know, back in those days in the 70s. And I, I remember I, I, I tore out the centerpiece of this, this picture of this guy. I mean, his, he had muscle on top of muscle, you know. I mean, this, this guy was huge, you know. And it, when you tore it out, it was about this long. It, you know, it took up two pages. And I took that thing off, and I put it in front of me on the wall of my basement where I used to work out. Okay? Because I was getting a vision for the future. All right? Now, I, I kept doing this, and all of a sudden, I got this idea. I said, hmm, you know that school picture I have upstairs, you know? <laughs> How many remember your high school picture? <laughs> oh, God. And uh, I, so I, I had this idea come to me to cut the guy's face out on the, on, the, on the paper, right, on the centerfold. And I just cut his head out, made a circle, you know, and I took my picture and I stuck it behind where, where, where his face was. Now it's my face, you know. Now everybody thought that was hilarious. I was serious about it, okay. And I put that picture up there and I saw myself and I saw like it was my body, Okay. My family laughed about it. I'm telling you, there was no end. <laughs> I said, I was serious about it, you know. And, uh, but I began to see progress. When I became 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, I began to see progress. Maybe not like that person or whatever, but I put that thing before me so that I could see that's where I want to go. Okay? And what you place before you is ultimately where you're going to go. When you drive a car, you know, you're, you're driving towards something that you're not there yet. You see it up ahead. You're looking down the road, but you're actually not there yet. But in a few short seconds, you'll be there. But you have to keep your eyes on the future. Now, knowledge of God's Word is the first and foremost key to be successful in every area of life. When, you, when your body suffers... Ask yourself the question, what does God's word say about my body? Amen? When you suffer financially, ask the word of God, what does the word of God say about my finances? Or relationships or whatever, okay? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Say free. Now look at John 17, verse 17 from in here real quick. John 17, 17, Jesus said this. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay? Who said this? Jesus said, sanctify. He's praying this prayer for us. He said, sanctify them through thy truth, Lord. Thy word is truth. Now, notice that phrase, thy word is truth. Now, the word doesn't have truth. The word is truth. So when you, when you read the scripture like we just read in, in, in John, it says you'll know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free or make you free. Well, you could say it like this. You shall know the word, and the word shall make you free. Because the truth and the word are the same thing. God never tells you a lie. What he says in his word is the absolute truth. Glory to God. And through the years, when I faced physical challenges, and some were really serious, you know, without going into great detail, I clung to the truth of the Word of God, of what God said about me, and, and didn't put all of my stock in what the doctors were telling me. Because God's Word in my life is final authority. Glory be to God. And you'll know the truth, and the truth is the Word of the living God. Now, go to Romans real quick, chapter 10. I want to show you this again. The first key, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, the first key to winning in life is to have the right kind of knowledge, the right information. Now, you can have the word or the truth presented to you and still not believe it. You can treat the truth like it's a lie. But I don't want to do that. How about you? If the Word of God is presented to me, I'm not going to look at it and question it and say, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's for me or not. I've already lost. That's like calling God a liar. And the Bible says, God is not mocked. <laughs> Amen. 
It's impossible for God to lie, the Bible says in Hebrews. It's impossible. What God says is the truth. So when we line our belief system up with what the Word of God has to say, we are destined to win in life. Glory to God. I know people uh, in, my, uh, in, in the last X amount of years that had a death report on them. And they only had so much time to live. But you know what? They're alive. Some of them are alive today. You know why? Because they chose to believe God's Word. Amen? Now, if they're going to just play around and dilly-dally with the Word of God and not be really concerned or serious about it, that's another thing. But when you take the Word of God serious, if, I mean, if your back's up against the wall and you need some divine help, that's not the time to be watching eight hours of television. Are you with me now? That's when it's time to really narrow it down. See, all of us have 24 hours a day. All of us. Equal amount. What do we do with those 24 hours will determine how things will turn out in our lives. And I'm here to tell you, if you turn to God and you turn to His Word, no matter how hopeless it may seem in your life, God can turn the hopeless situation around. Glory to God. Now, in Romans chapter 10, look at verse 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? I'm a whosoever. How about you? That means everybody won't, anybody can, somebody will. <laughs> I'm a whosoever. Everybody won't, anybody can, somebody will. I'm a whosoever. Are you? Whosoever meaneth me. Glory to God. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. Now notice it says in verse 14, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. All right. So notice this, we use this phrase, the right kind of knowledge. All right. To a lost person, they need the right kind of knowledge. There was, all of us were in that situation, right? There was a time where I was lost and I remember it and I didn't know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I was taught that religion, that going to church, Doing good deeds was my way or my ticket into heaven. And then I began to find out it's not, somebody told me it's not by your works, it's not by your deeds, it's by the grace of God that you receive what He did for me. Well, I wish I would have been taught that when I was a youngster. Because we were taught good deeds. Amen? And I remember trying to witness to my, my sister and I, we got born again before my parents did. And they thought we joined a cult. I mean, it was crazy in our house at that time. And my parents, I'm telling you, and others, my dad's in heaven now. My mother's walking with Christ, you know. But, but, I, but I'll tell you, prior to, they said, we raised you the right way. What's wrong with the way we raised you? Well, you know, it's kind of hard to correct your parents when they've been wrong half their life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, and I remember one time I was helping my mother. I was just a young, young kid, and I was helping my mother do the dishes. You know, my sister and I, we would... We would take turns. She would do it one night. I'd do it the next night, you know. And somehow we got on the conversation. I had just gotten saved. And I remember talking to him. My father, he's down in the basement working on his workbench. He's a hands-on type of guy. He's working on stuff, you know, mowers and stuff like that. And, uh, and somehow in the conversation, I don't know how it happened, but I told my mom, well, if you don't get saved, then you go to hell. <laughs> I don't know how I said that to her. But that's the truth, isn't it? You have to receive Christ, right? And I mean, she became unglued. And she started yelling at me. And then my father heard the whole thing downstairs. He ran up the steps, screaming his head off at me, yelling at me. I mean, it was, it was, it was demonic, you know. And, uh, and I, I, just, I just darted out of the house. I thought it was going to turn into a fist fight. Honest to God. But I knew that that was spiritual warfare. And I wasn't trying to hurt them. I was trying to help them. Okay? And, uh, and I mean, that was a painful time trying to go through that, trying to, you know, share the, the Word of God with my parents, you know, because they weren't walking with Christ. They weren't born again. And they just rejected it big time, you know? And, uh, and it, was just, it was just me and my sister. Now, my wife, for example, she was come out of a family of seven kids. 
Roman Catholic, you know. And, uh, but I remember um, her sharing some things about some of the persecution. That when, she, when she got saved, oh my goodness, the persecution. A lot of people today can't even put up with persecution. Amen? But uh, she would just get out of the house, go down in the woods behind her house and spend time with the Lord, do whatever she had to do to get alone with God, you know. And sometimes you've got to just stand alone. But you're not alone. You've got Christ. See, I, one, thing I, one thing I learned as a young teenager is I'm never alone. I'm never alone. I got God with me all the time. And I began to practice. It wasn't easy all the time, but I began to practice God's presence. That's before I even knew I was even called into the ministry. Began to practice God's presence. Because I had nothing in the natural to lean on. I needed God. I wanted God. Well, my parents ended up coming to the Lord. That's another story, but it was glorious. They came in one day after being at a retreat, a Methodist retreat, and they came in and said, Son, we understand where you're coming from now. Amen. I said, well, tell me about it. What do you mean? Well, they went to this retreat and there was somebody there that shared the gospel with them and a whole bunch of them got born again. Well, from that moment, they changed. I mean, they were transformed. My, my father was a, uh, a daily drinker, you know, alcohol every day because that was part of their, their routine when they grew up. It started with their grandfather and all the brothers and so forth. Every single night after work, they'd stop up at Joe's Bar and Grill, wherever it was up there, up the street, you know. Every time I'd see my dad's car park, every single night they would drink, okay. But I noticed that all that started to change. He quit going up there. Hallelujah. And I began to see changes and things take place inside their lives. But it started with the right kind of knowledge. How shall they hear Without a preacher. Now, that doesn't just mean someone like myself behind a podium preaching, you know. Every one of us are preachers. How many of you ever had the opportunity to be instrumental in leading someone to Christ? It's a marvelous thing, isn't it? It's wonderful. And uh, you're all preachers, but a sinner needs the right kind of information. If they don't have the right kind of information, how can they be saved? Right? Now, legally, but salvation belongs to every single person, right? Every person in the universe. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't mean that they're automatically saved. They have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and receive the gospel. What Jesus did for them. So, in other words, the right kind of knowledge is what's going to set people free in the area of salvation. Hallelujah. Now, you don't tell them to accept Buddha. That's the wrong information. You don't tell them to accept Muhammad. That's the wrong kind of information because they can't save anybody. Are you with me now? They're dead in a hole in the ground. But Jesus' tomb was only a barred tomb for three days. Glory to God. And he was raised from the dead. And his, his tomb is empty. It's still there right outside of Jerusalem. Amen? Got pictures of it. Got friends that have been in there. Took pictures of it. His tomb is empty. Praise God. Say the right information. information. See, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, right? So you got to have the right type of information. And that's one of the things as a church is we want to load you up with your ammunition and your spiritual gun, so to speak. I mean, you could have the most high-powered rifle in the world, but if there's no ammunition, it does nothing. You got to have ammunition. Our ammunition is not bullets. It's the Word of God. Praise God. Let's go to Acts chapter 14 real quick here, and I'll show you something. We looked at this last week, and we'll look at it again. Sometimes we as preachers, we get in a hurry, and we want to rush through something, but I feel sometimes the Lord wants us to go back and reiterate some things because we, there's some other truth that we will want to see here. We see in Acts chapter 14, verse 6. Now we saw initially here in Romans chapter 10, how can they be saved without hearing good news, right? So the right knowledge of salvation will secure someone's salvation. Well, let's look, for example, at healing. That's uh, Acts 14, verse 6 says, And they were aware of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe and the cities of Lyconia, unto the region that, that lieth round about. Paul and Barnabas. Now look at verse 7. It says, And there they preached the gospel 
Now, the word gospel means good news, right? Say good news. What's good news to a sinner? You can be saved, right? What's good news to a lost person? You can be found through Jesus. What's good news to a sick person? You can be healed. Amen? Now, folks, there's a lot of good, well-meaning churches that preach salvation, and thank God for that because we need salvation. But a lot of times people will just stop, and that's it. Boom. Save. Born again. Save. That's important. But there's a whole lot more for us. There's divine healing that belongs to us as well. But again, lack of knowledge if you've never been taught, and I grew up in a mainline traditional church, I never heard one, one sermon ever on divine healing. Now, they'd read the Gospels and stuff like that, but they, no one was encouraged to come to the front to get born again. Number two, no one was encouraged to come to the front to be, uh, uh, have hands laid upon them to be, filled, to be healed or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was non-existence. All right? But notice it says here, they preached the Gospel in verse 7. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked. And the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up on thy feet. And he leaped, and he walked. Glory to God. The truth was being presented to a lame man that never walked before. We're not even talking common cold here or the flu or the swine flu, or whatever. I mean, who would want a flu from a hog anyway, right? <laughs> Amen? But the right kind of truth was being presented. Now listen very carefully. The right truth was being presented to a man that was sitting in Paul. And I mean, this is not really a big crowd. This is just a little crowd of people right here. And for some reason, this guy that was crippled, probably somebody brought him. And he's sitting there in this sermon, like you're sitting right now, sitting there hearing words. And uh, Paul was preaching the gospel. Now, he must have said something or this man never would have had faith. He had to have said something about Jesus took not only your sins, but took your disease and your infirmities. Or he would have nothing, he would have no leg to stand on. No pun intended. Now, he was presenting the gospel of not just salvation, but the gospel of healing. Amen? Jesus took your sins, but he also took your sicknesses. I mean, look at, look at Psalm 103. I'll just quote it. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases. These are the benefits of God. Amen. Now, if truth frustrates you, you don't have a revelation of it. Amen. Do you ever go to a good restaurant before and you ordered something and, uh, and you know it's coming? I mean, you go to a T-bone steak or something like that. And it's, it's coming and you smell it. You hear that, you know, the, you can, you're preparing for it. You're excited. You haven't eaten it yet, but they're preparing for it. And all of a sudden, here comes the waiter or the waitress and they bring it and set it before you. Now you can partake of it. Amen. You enjoyed that thing before you even ate it. And you can enjoy what God has promised you by believing it right now. Amen. You don't have to have 13,000 sermons of healing before you can get healed. This guy probably heard one sermon. This is probably the first sermon he ever heard on healing. But he just decided to believe it. Now I know... Uh, even nowadays, uh, for example, I've got missionary friends and friends and so forth that minister a lot in Africa, okay? And there's areas in Africa where they'll come out, different countries in Africa, they'll come out and walk sometimes 15 hours, walk. And then, you know, there's no restrooms along the way. There's just woods. There's no port johns There's just woods. Amen? And they walk for 15 hours to get into a meeting and they know and they believe they're going to be healed. And you've seen like Reinhard Bonnke meetings where there's 2 million people, a sea of people that show up, you know. There's no building that's going to hold 2 million people. 
So they've got these sound systems that you can hear for 10 miles away. <laughs> you think ours are loud sometimes? Oh, dear God. Massive speakers. And it's not, there's no chairs. People stand like this. They stand for hours. But there's mass healings. I mean, cripples and blind eyes and people being healed. Just look up Reinhard Bunke on YouTube and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's powerful. And he'd get up there and share and, and millions and thousands and th- tens of thousands of people give their heart to the Lord. And even more, even beyond that, people get healed of all kinds of infirmities. And people are throwing their crutches away. They don't, wheelchairs, popping out of wheelchairs, supernatural things happening. Because they've never been taught the other side. They never were taught that God doesn't heal today. Traditions. They've, 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 they don't know anything. They're coming to it and they just believe it. They just believe it. Now they hear one sermon and they receive and something supernatural takes place. What's the description in the book of Hebrews that says, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, I believe, and he says, the gospel was preached to them in the old, talking about the Old Testament, you know, uh, about the, the spies. He said the gospel, the good news was presented to them, but they didn't mix faith in them that heard it and they failed to enter into the promised land. Mm-hmm. So they heard, they had, the good news was to them was this, God has promised you the land, I've given you the land, now go in and possess it. Right? For Israel, he said, go in and possess it. But 13, was it uh, 12 tribes sent 12 leaders up and only 10 of, them came back, 10 of them came back with an evil report of unbelief. They said, we can't do this. The giants are in the land. They're too big. But there's only two that came back, uh, two leaders, Joshua and Caleb. Amen. You all remember that story in Numbers 13? And they said, uh, God said it. We can do it. We're going to go in and uh, to make a long story real short. The only two people and their under, people underneath them that went into the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them died and perished in the wilderness. And that wasn't God's will. God said, I've given you the land. But see, here's the thing. When the news was presented, now listen carefully. When the news was presented to the 12 spies, only two of them accepted it and mixed faith with what God heard. Joshua and Caleb. And the scripture says that Joshua and Caleb had another spirit. What did they have? The spirit of faith. They just chose. Now they could have been like the other ten. Believe me. They had a choice. They could have been. They could have looked at the giants. They could have looked at all the obstacles. You know. Like we all do. There's all kind of obstacles we can look at. Why you can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. All the excuses in the world. But listen. When God's on your side. If God before you. Who can be against you? God is for you. Say, God is for me. Now, the Bible says, if God be for you, who then can be against you? You and God are majority every single time. I I can't lose if if I keep my eyes on God. Oh, God, you're bigger than this problem I'm facing right now. You're much bigger. It's not just old me down here standing here by myself. It's me and God. Now, the Lord always reminds me of that when I, before I come out here and speak, or wherever I speak. And the Lord always reminds me, remember who's with you. Keith, I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm there in your church service. The Lord said, I've never missed a church service yet. In all these years, I'm right there. And you know what? You know what that does to me? That stirs me up. Hallelujah. Just stop and think about that for a minute here. I know you're quiet. You're thinking this morning. If God be for us, who can be against us? I know, Pastor, it's snowing outside. It's cold outside. It was 77 degrees last week, and I don't don't feel anything today. I feel kind of like sleeping, you know what I mean? Hey, God's in this place. You know, people are sometimes. Let me tell you something. God's in this. God's here. 
He's with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I can't look out in the natural and say, hey, there's God right there. But I know what His Word says. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm in you. I can't lose. You can't lose. If you believe that, you cannot lose in life. Regardless of what the devil's thrown at you. I don't care what a hit he's thrown at you. When you believe God's Word, you're going to come out on top. And I just encourage myself in the Lord by saying that right now. Amen. And we're supposed to do that. That's how you encourage yourself in the Lord your God. You don't wait for someone else to call you on the phone and, hey, I would just want to encourage you right now. That may or may not happen. But let me tell you something. You can encourage, like David said, they were going to stone him. The people were going to stone him because they were so discouraged. Sometimes people can get so discouraged they want to turn on their leaders. Bad decision. (laughs) Amen. And David said, he just went and he got away from everybody because they're going to stone him. They're so discouraged they wanted to stone him. I've never had it that bad. And he went and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He probably said, Dave, you remember you're in this situation against the lion and the bear and so forth and so on. Remember that? He said, God deliver me out of the mouth of the lion and the bear and he'll deliver me out of the, this, uh, the, this uncircumcised Philistine Goliath. Amen. And he, he would re- rehearse previous victories that he had. And I'll tell you, folks, it's important for us to do that. You have to remember, what did God do for me a month ago? What did God do for me two years ago, ten years for me? Well, he didn't do too much for me, Pastor Keith. Hey, is your heart beating in your chest? Are you breathing? Do you have food to eat? Did you drive here or did you walk here? There's a whole lot of things you can do to be thankful And the more thankful you are, oh, Holy Spirit, the more thankful you are, the more your faith will be stimulated. And it needs to be to count your blessings. Quit looking at what you don't have or what didn't work or what didn't turn out. Forget about that. Forget about the past. If we can just forget about backwards. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me one time. He said, Keith, be like a motorcycle. I said, what do you mean, Lord? He said, they don't have a reverse. They go forward. Amen? If we, that's why in your vehicle, the rear view mirror is only about this big and the windshield's this big. Because you're supposed to be paying more attention to what's ahead of you than that is what's behind you. Are you with me now? Your past, you can't change it. You can't go back yesterday, a week, a month, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 45 years ago. You, now, if we could, we'd all do it. But you can't go back to the past and change what took place. You can't do it. So why cry over that? Why have a pity party over something that happened back yonder? Hallelujah. Are we breaking through this morning? Is the Lord breaking through in some things, in areas in our lives this morning? Amen? Praise the Lord. You you can't live in the future by looking to the past. Paul said, I forget those things that are behind. So if you had a failed this or a failed that, you know, a failed business, you know. I mean, I, I think about Abraham Lincoln. Everybody knows who's Honest Abe is, right? One of the greatest presidents that ever lived. Okay? But if you read his resume, he failed more times than he succeeded. I don't don't have it on me here, but I wish I did. You can look it up. But it it showed how he failed in business, failed when he ran for this, failed in family situations. There was was a list of like 20 things that he failed at, even especially in running for government. And then then I forget the year that it was, but he ran for president and he won. But nobody sees that. But if Abraham Lincoln would have based his future on his past, he would have never tried to run for president. Turns out he was one of the best presidents ever. Glory to God. He was instrumental doing some things to help people. Amen? Glory to God. So if you just look at a past failed relationship or a failed financial situation or whatever the case may be, then that's what the devil's going to try to keep that in front of you so that you keep going into that. You're expecting that. We don't want to do that. Now, 
In conclusion today, I want to talk about the second step to winning in life. Because we're almost out of time here. And that is, first of all, what was the first thing? Having the right information, right? Number two is having a right mental attitude. A right mental attitude. And I looked up in Webster's what the, the word attitude, and it means this. It means a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. A settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. Now, I remember growing up, you know, sometimes as a youngster, I'd get out of hand and my parents would say something like, son, you got an attitude. That wasn't usually a good thing. Got an attitude. They should have said you have a bad attitude. Now, I'm sure no one here has ever had a bad attitude before, right? Never, never. But if we're going to win in life, that's what we're talking about. First of all, we've got to have the right knowledge, okay? That's why the devil tries so hard to keep people out of church, out of the word, out of the truth, because if he can keep them out of that, he's already got them, all right? But the second thing is this, having the right mental attitude. In other words, God's word is the only thing that can really make a true optimist out of anybody. You know, children are not pessimists by nature. They have to learn that. They usually learn that from the parents or somebody close by. Pessimism. Kids aren't like that. Amen? God's Word will give us an expectation of good happening in our life and not, not evil. An expectation. Have you ever uh, invited somebody over to your house? Anybody here ever through the years? Have you ever, anybody, hand show? Have you ever invited someone to your house? Maybe for dinner or something like that. For whatever reason. And you've put out the invitation. You've sent it out there. And they agreed to come at a certain time. They haven't showed up yet. Well, there's still a few minutes before they're about to show up. But you're at the house. You're making preparations. You're preparing things. Maybe preparing a meal. Cleaning the house up. Doing last minute type stuff. You know. Because you have an expectation of that person or persons that's coming to your house. They're not physically there yet in your house. But you are preparing. You have an anticipation, an expectation. They're going to show up any minute. And guess what? Before, you, before a few minutes are up, there's a knock on the door. As the doorbell rings and there they are. There's an expectation of somebody showing up at your house. And the Word of God is much like that. The Word of God will give you a goodly or a godly expectation of good things happening to you, not evil things. The New Testament talks about, in the New Testament, it talks about a thing called uh, evil foreboding. Evil foreboding. Well, what's that? That means an expectation of bad stuff happening to you. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Remember that? That goes back a few years. An expectation of bad things happening. What you expect, you don't always get, I heard someone say this, you don't always get what you want, but you will always get what you expect. If you expect people to treat you badly, they will. If you expect people to treat you and take advantage of you, they will. Because it sends out an aura it sends out an atmosphere that you're drawing that to you. But that's, that, you don't want that. That's in reverse. But there is a goodly uh, expectation that you can have. And you can start to turn the card around, so to speak, where you can start expecting good things to show up in your life. I wake up in the morning and I have an expectation of good things happening to me. I'm excited about every day. And I'm getting, the older I get... I'm not saying I'm old. 
But the older I get, I'm getting more filled with expectation of good things happening to me because I know how good God is. And I know how much He loves me and He loves you. And He, wants to, he just wants to give us good things. He wants to help us. My God, when you realize how good He is, you just wake up with a, a, a skip in your step, so to speak, you know, and a joy in your heart. And you know, hmm, good things are about to happen today. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, here's a couple of people you're familiar with, and I'll just quote. Winston Churchill said this, Attitude is a little thing, but it makes a big difference. Attitude is a little thing, but it makes a huge difference. Here's a John Maxwell said, People may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. <laughs> People may feel your words, but they feel your attitude. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, said nothing can, nothing, uh, maybe I wrote this down wrong. Nothing can keep the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can keep a man with the wrong mental attitude. So if you have the right attitude, nothing can keep you down. Now, here's somebody in our present time. Joel Osteen said this. He says, choosing to be positive and having a grateful attitude is going to determine how you're going to live your life and how things are going to turn out. Hmm. Someone said, well, that Joel Osteen is just so positive. Well, do you think God's that way? Do you think God's a pessimist? God's not a pessimist. If you think Joel Osteen is positive, you ain't been around God. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he can't fulfill. Hallelujah. He laughs at impossibilities. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Having the right mental attitude. Now, how do you do that? How do you have, how do you, you know, because... There were times in my life I didn't have the right mental attitude. I'll be honest with you. There's times I had a, a horrible attitude, a stinking thinking attitude. And I knew it, but I, I was like, how do I get out of this? Okay? It was only when I began to realize that it was when I was allowing God's word. And while I'm saying that, go to this last scripture here in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It was only when I began to let God's Word envelop my thinking about every area of life. And it says right here in this scripture right here. The Lord said this. He says, Thou will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now, see the word perfect peace right there? See that in the English up there, the perfect peace? Do you know, it's, this is the only place in the entire Bible that the word shalom is used twice. The word perfect is the Hebrew word shalom, and the word peace, of course, is shalom. God says this, I'm going to keep you in perfect shalom, shalom. Here's the key, if your mind is stayed upon me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, what's, what's, what's shalom mean? We did a series a few years ago called Shalom in the Home. Remember that? If you were here. And it's, it's still on our website and our archives. But shalom, it's more than just a greeting like, hey, how you doing? Like in Israel. You know what I'm saying? Shalom. Like, hello. You know. It means this. It means, it, in the Hebrew roots, it means, it means wholeness. It means nothing missing, nothing broken whatsoever. So when you say shalom, you're asking, is there anything missing? Is there anything broken in your life, physically, financially, whatever, you know? And the word whole, wholeness right there, this is all part of shalom. Shalom means wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. See, God doesn't want you to have a, a, uh, a saved spirit but a broken body or vice versa. Hallelujah. You see, you got a pie. When you got born again, you got the pie of salvation. That's part of the pie. Then you got the pie of divine healing. That's another part of the pie. That's all part of salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's the word sozo. And it means healing, deliverance, safety, soundness. Praise God. 
But here's the key right here to having a right mental attitude, and that is this. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in me. Keeping your mind stayed on the word of God is the only true way that you can really trust the Lord. And by the way, have supernatural peace. Praise God. Why is that so important? Well, something's going to occupy our minds one way or the other. <laughs> See, your, your mind is not just neutral territory. There's not, you know, there, there's going to be some kind of thought that's in your mind one way or the other. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All, of us, all of us here, even if you're born again, know the Lord, you've had bad thoughts come to you, negative thoughts come to you, you know. Well, that doesn't mean that that's your thought. Because there's an enemy out there, and the, way the, the primary way that he talks to us is he puts bad thoughts inside of our mind, bad feelings. You ever had a bad thought towards someone else? Huh? Sure. Well, who's behind that? The enemy's behind that. But the Lord, on the other hand, that's the same. He works by putting the right stuff in our minds to guard our thinking the way we think. Praise God. That's all meditation is. It's just replacing the old unregenerate thoughts with the Word of God. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, when you worry, for example, when you, you know, anybody ever worry before, you know? Well, when you worry, you're just thinking on the wrong thoughts. You're thinking on negative thoughts. And you're seeing something happen in your life bad that hasn't even happened yet. Hasn't even happened yet. So you're using energy one way or the other. Just stay with me here. We're almost done. When you worry and you're fearful about something, you're using precious energy up, but it's not working for you, it's working against you. So you can replace those fear-filled thoughts and so forth with God's Word. So in other words, instead of me worrying, I'm going to take the Word, I'm going to take a promise, I'm going to take the Scripture, I'm going to put it in my mind, put it in my mouth, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to meditate on it, and then I'm going to have great peace. Glory to God. There are things I remember years and years ago, and uh, 15 years ago even, that used to, and this is how you know you've grown some, because things that used to torment you and fears that would come your way, they don't have any sway on you anymore because you've learned to grow. You've learned to trust God through thick and thin, and now you can walk in peace where before you couldn't. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? But you have to... Be diligent about this. You've got to start putting the Word of God on the inside of your heart and in the inside of your mind. Now, I, 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 what I do, this what works for me, is I take, I've put enough Word in me through the years that it's gotten inside of me so I can just bring it up. I can just bring it up and recall through the supernatural memory of the Word and just spe- speak what the Word of God says. Thank you, Lord. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children. You have overcome those demons and devils because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so I, I'll take that scripture and I'll say, Keith, you're of God. You have overcome those demons and devils that are in the earth. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. And when you do that, you're meditating the word. When you meditate the Word, that Word becomes a part of you, and that fear is just pushed back, and all of a sudden the greater one starts working on your behalf. It's a marvelous thing. Praise God.